I just want to do God's will. The kind of revolution that the world needs is a Christian revolution. If you want a miracle, you've got to expect it to happen. You're the recipients of God's grace and God's blessings, and you rejoice in that reality. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Life Today Live. I'm Jordan Brinkschroeder, sitting in for Randy Robinson, who will be back tomorrow, so make sure that you tune in. I am super excited about our guest today. Let's jump right in. I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the mundane of your everyday tasks and your life routine? Or maybe you are really tired of the hustle culture that is running rampant in America right now. All of these things are things that I've personally struggled with. And so I'm super excited to talk with our author today, Kelly Needham, with her book, Purpose Fooled. She is an author, a mom, a wife, and a podcast host. And you can see her website here at kellyneedham.com to see all these things and access them after the podcast. So Kelly, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, Jordan. I'm so glad to be here with you. Awesome. Let's get into it. So what ways do you think that we have been fooled in our purpose? Uh, I think one of the biggest ways is that we're by and large trained by our culture and even in our Christian culture to see our purpose as something that we do. Usually if you ask somebody, what's your purpose, you're going to hear them say, well, my purpose is to do this. You'll usually, there'll be a verb in there to be a mom or to preach or to teach or to do missions. But uh, I think that's problematic. If we see our purpose as something we do, then we'll always need to be doing that thing to be okay. Uh, I think that what the Bible teaches by and large is that our purpose is not a task or a verb. It's actually a person. We're actually made for the very person of God. We're made for a noun, not a verb. And I think that switch of doing being our purpose, um, that's where we've been fooled. It feels very right to do that. But again, I think it has some problems if we really live that way. It's We're going to find it leading us astray in some ways. Absolutely. So do you think that this really leads to a struggle and a sense of identity? I, we all know that the depression and anxiety rates right now are through the roof. It's something that is being talked about a lot and a lot of people are struggling. So do you think that us being fooled in our purpose in this way is one of the reasons why people are feeling that way? I do. I think it's part of the equation. Of course, for every person, there's going to be different factors playing into why they're dealing with that. But we need a sense of transcendent meaning and purpose to be okay. I think that is a, a human need. You know, Ecclesiastes will say that eternity is written on our hearts. There's a sense of longing for a, the, just a transcendent life. And when we try to put that deep ache and channel it through doing, what that turns us to is to achievement. We want to achieve great things in ministry, in work, in our family life. And we're trying to meet this deep need for transcendent meaning through our work. And what that does, though, is if you find yourself in a season where those things are not coming together, where you're experiencing a series of failures or you're not getting the opportunities you want, uh, that can really create, like you said, a type of identity crisis. I thought this was what God called me to. I thought this is what I was meant to do. And it's not working out now. Who even am I if I can't do this? Or on the flip side, maybe you get everything you ever wanted. You actually achieve the thing you set out to do. And then you find yourself there going, I still have that ache. I still have that longing. I still, I need to do something bigger, better. I mean, that's what you see in a lot of our celebrity culture, right? They achieve everything 
that you could ever imagine. And it's like still not enough. So I think that um, it's, it's dangling the carrot in front of us of this can give you meaning, a sense of transcendent purpose. And we hunger for that, rightly so. But it's never, it's never going to be enough. And so I do think it leaves us wanting and it can send us into a type of depression or even workaholism, sense of exhaustion. Uh, it can send us into a lot of different places that aren't good for us, that are unhealthy and, and problematic. Absolutely. And I love you hit the nail on the head of talking about celebrities because that's the first thing that comes to my mind. You know, um, when you're graduating college or you're kind of going out into what we call the real world, there's all this pressure from everybody around mm -hmm. you to um, just get to the top of the corporate ladder or achieve your dreams or do the great things that's been instilled in you since you were a young person. And for some people, mm -hmm. you know, they achieve the extraordinary, but still when their purpose is in a verb and not the noun, like you're saying, you know, that's when people fall into things to kind of plug that whole like drugs, alcoholism, all these different pits of sin that we think are going to fill that need for us. So I love, love, love that you said that. And I'm curious right now, social media is something that I feel like we spend more time with and on than with the people around us. What ways do you think that that has deviated us from our purpose? Yeah. Uh, social media, man, there's so much to say about it. And it isn't, a, it isn't an evil thing, right? It can be used for a lot of good. A lot of us are seeing good come from it, but um, it's a very, it's a image video based thing. Right. And so what it's setting before us are things that look good in pictures and look good on video. And by and large, most of our lives are not very Instagrammable. Uh, if you were to like just take, a, you know, my phone with me through the day, it's like this moment might be pretty cool to post like, oh, I'm doing an interview with you. You know, this feels really significant. But what about this morning when I was folding laundry and doing some errands, you know, and washing dishes and packing a lunch for a kid? It's like that. I could post that, but it doesn't look as cool. So what social media has done is it really has curated the extraordinary for us, put it on display, and it's made it accessible to us because anybody can go try and gain a following that way or get on YouTube and create a YouTube channel. And the combination of look at all these amazing things you could be doing and here's your access to it, again, is sometimes so it's, – it's almost impossible to resist because we need a sense of transcendent meaning. Um, but it will immediately for us devalue the ordinary moments in our life that are actually really significant to God and that we see him advancing his kingdom through all the time in the scriptures. But what social media will do is devalue it because we're not seeing it posted. You know, Second uh, Corinthians 3 talks about this. We, we behold God and we become more like him as we behold him. And I think there is a principle there that's important. What you look at, you will become like, you will move toward it. If you're setting social media in front of your eyes all the time, you're going to move in that direction. You're going to see that as valuable and try to model your life after that just because that's how you are made. You're made to become like what you behold. And so social media can send us down a lot of wrong paths of valuing only a small slice of our life that like looks good online and devaluing a very large portion of it. And that's where we'll feel a sense of hopelessness, aimlessness, and even purposelessness in large portions of our life and uh, sometimes because of the influence of things like social media. Yeah, absolutely. I think it really just allows us to look around rather than looking up and we're living a life for mm -hmm. a huge audience instead of an audience of one, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. I have to know, when I saw your book, 
the cover, incredible, but I love this title. How did you come up with this? Was it something that just bam, came to your head, something you prayed over? Tell us about that. Yeah, it's actually a really fun story. When I was trying to come up with a title, I had actually a support team, a group of people had come alongside to help support the project. And so they knew I was trying to title the book. And one of my supporters who actually lives in Latvia um, sent me an email one day and said, hey, what about the title Purpose Fool? So she actually sent that to me. And she did that because my first book is called Friendish. So I kind of have this theme of like making up words in my book titles, you know. <laughs> and she said, you could even do it like italics, like your other book. You know, I thought, oh, I love that idea. The play on words of purposeful. But and we ended up adding the ED. I don't didn't think anybody would want to buy a book called Purpose Fool or give it to someone else. <laughs> but um I, my hope was that it would be intriguing enough to people. I mean, we're all searching for a sense of purpose and meaning and that it would be catch somebody's attention to go, wait a minute, I don't want to be fooled, you know, in a sense of my purpose and kind of, you know, pique people's interest to get into the topic a little bit. So, yeah, anyway, that's so I can't even claim total credit for that title that came from a supporter of mine. So I love it. I love it. That's so good. So I have a question. So why do you think that we strive so hard for the extraordinary? I mean, I feel like it's something that's, you know, put on to us as, even from childhood as, as children. It's what do you want to be when you grow up and shoot for mm -hmm. the stars and everything is possible if you just believe in yourself. What is wrong with that kind of messaging? Well, a um, couple things. What's wrong with it is uh, only not everybody even has access to live that way. That's one problem I have with it is there are a whole lot of people in the world who don't even have the opportunity to pick and choose what they would like to be when they grow up, whether they're living in extreme poverty in other parts of the world or whether they were born with significant disabilities or whether they end up being a caregiver for someone um, where just the options are not there. So if we say that life has meaning or really comes alive when you can do a significant thing or really dream up whatever purpose you want for yourself and go achieve it, we've isolated entire groups of people who don't even have the opportunity to do those things, it's really a place of privilege. So that's the the first thing I would say that is problematic about that way of thinking. Um, and that means it can't be true. Right? It can't be true if it can't be universally lived out. Um, but then I think why we're drawn to this, and I think we've always been drawn to the extraordinary. You see it in the Tower of Babel, like earliest pages of the Bible. Humanity is like, let's come together and build something to the heavens so that the world will remember us. You know, We want to do that. And I think one of the few reasons we want to do that is if you can be extraordinary, it gives you a sense of identity. You don't need to have your identity in God. You can have your identity in the thing that you're great at, You know, whether you're a great athlete or a great actor or a great business person, that if you're extraordinary at it, it builds in a sense of, oh, I know who I am now because this big thing that I can do really well gives me meaning. Um, it gives us a way to fight evil. Like I think we see a lot of evil in the world and it, that is real. So we want to push back at that and just doing like the things Jesus set before us to do, like eat and drink for the glory of God and, you know, be a good neighbor to the people around. It doesn't feel enough, right? There's right. so much evil in the world. I want a big, extraordinary thing to do. And so the extraordinary gives us a way to feel like we're fighting back evil, or it can give us a way to validate our work. You know, no one is applauding the lunches that I made for my kids. They're just not. It's not very cool and extraordinary. But uh, if I can write really well, for example, if I can write books really well and be an extraordinary author, it builds in validation. It builds in a sense of, I know that this matters because people are telling me that it matters. And so there's a lot of reasons why we're attracted to the extraordinary. And it's not even bad if 
doing extraordinary things becomes a part of our life for one reason or another. But it does build in a sense of temptation to find our identity and our hope in doing those things, not in God. And that is a danger we should be aware of, that we should even have some healthy cautions about. Absolutely. If we're not keeping things on the firm foundation of Christ, you guys, everything Mm -hmm. is going to pull us down because we cannot count on those things. We can't count on, you know, our job, our work, the things that we're doing to be consistent. So Mm -hmm. how can we use the gifts that God has given us and not make it our purpose? Mm. That's a great question because it's important to use what God has entrusted to you. You know, you think about the parable of the talents Jesus tells. He's clearly entrusted different things to us with the intention that we would use them to bring about a return for his kingdom. Um, But I think for me, what is helpful is to actually broaden that sense of gifts he's given. I think even when we talk like that, how do we use the gifts that he's given us? Most of us are thinking about specific skill sets or even our wiring. We think about like Uh, our our abilities. Uh, And that is something entrusted to us. Absolutely. We should use that. But God has also entrusted to me relationships. Only I am the neighbor to my few people who live right around me who happen to not know Jesus. Only I have been entrusted with that type of neighborly relationship. And I am meant to steward that for his kingdom. Uh, Only I have the type of things that I have suffered uh, things that I've experienced in my life that are losses and the Bible say that what the comfort I receive from God is meant to be something I comfort others with. Mm. So like there's so many things in my life I've been entrusted with and my skills and my wiring, like that's a part of that. But that's a very narrow way. If we just think about that, then that's the only thing we're thinking about stewarding. And we will sometimes at the expense of the familial relation- relationships that we have, the people that we work next to, uh, just so many other things in our life God's entrusted Uh, some of our maybe worldly possessions that we're meant to steward, we can sometimes just kind of ignore those things. It's like, well, you're meant to steward those as well. So I think broadening out how I even think about stewardship and and what my life is, how I'm meant to use it has helped me not idolize my own skill set so highly and go, yeah, that's one thing. But God's entrusted a, a lot of things to me and I'm meant to care about all of it. That's so good. Love thy neighbor, not just looking for the one thing of seeking your purpose and seeking your calling. I love your subtitle, Why Chasing Your Dreams, Finding Your Calling, and Reaching for Greatness Will Never Be Enough. Is it wrong to try to chase your dreams, to try to look for something beyond the everyday, right? So we want to be grateful for the ordinary. Is it wrong Mm -hmm. for us to love the extraordinary if our heart is in the right place and it's for his glory and not our own. Mm. I definitely don't think it's wrong to uh, set a goal, to feel a sense of, I think God has called me to do this thing that may be out of the ordinary. Um, that We see that happening in the scriptures, right? And we see people throughout history, God having worked through their lives in those ways. So I don't think it's wrong, but I, I the reason even for that subtitle, and I hope that it intrigues people to find out more, right, is I really don't think it's enough. I think a lot of us look to those things to fill that deep ache in us for transcendent meaning. And this is what I think the book of Ecclesiastes is for in the scriptures. In the, in the book of Ecclesiastes, you're seeing a man who achieved everything. He... Uh, climbed the mountain of achievement on every level, right? He's the wealthiest, the most famous, the most accomplished, all the things. And essentially, the if I could sum up the book, you're seeing somebody who climbed the top of the mountain that we're all trying to climb um, and looks around and says, you know, there's nothing here. 
there's nothing here that's not also at the bottom of the mountain. And he essentially is identifying meaning in life doesn't come from what I've achieved or accomplished, even if those things are good. Uh, I wouldn't have written this book if I didn't think that out of the ordinary types of things can matter to people and be life-changing. But if I think that becoming an author and writing a book and it doing well or, you know, fill in the blank, if I think that will give me a sense of like purpose and meaning in my life, then I am mistaken. I will get on the other side of that and realize, oh, I'm still hungry. It's like, yes, because I'm made for the eternal, existent, galaxy designing God of the universe. And writing a book is too small of a thing, actually. It's not big enough to satisfy what I'm actually aching for. So no, it's not wrong to do those things, but I think we do need to go in clear-eyed about it and go, if I'm not okay now, if I don't have a sense of purpose in my life now, I'm definitely not on the other side of achieving that goal. And so if I think that goal and getting to that place will get me there, then I'm mistaken. It doesn't mean don't do it. It just means why am I doing it and what am I hoping it will accomplish in my own heart? Um, we need to be wary of that, concerned about that. Absolutely. Thank you so much. What would you say to the person whose life hasn't turned out the way that they thought it would go? Hmm. Well, that's kind of the flip side of that message of Ecclesiastes is if you achieve it all, it's not going to be enough, which the good news is if it hasn't turned out how you wanted, that can't ruin for you a meaningful life. That actually doesn't have the power to strip you of meaning or purpose, that even in the midst of life not turning out how you wanted, uh, having limitations that you didn't think you would have, things failing in the way that uh, you didn't think that they would. God is who you were made for, and God is present in the successes and the failures. And if you will connect to him, you know, like John 15 says, abide in me and you'll bear fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's in our connection to him that our lives actually begin to become fruitful and meaningful. And the scriptures are filled with stories of people with massive failure. There's not one person that God works through that doesn't have significant seasons of loss, of limitation, of failure, and regret because they're all sinners. And yet God is still choosing to work through their lives as they unite themselves with him. And I find that to be such great hope that the pressure isn't on me living out all my dreams or accomplishing the things I wanted to. And I'm not, I don't be so afraid of failure anymore because so long as I just stay close to him, he promises my life will bear fruit. Whether it looks fruitful to me or not, this side of heaven is not for me to concern myself with. He just says it's a promise that it will happen. Absolutely. Kelly, I'm curious, how has this played out in your own life? Could you share a little bit about your testimony? Have you you've been on both sides of this coin of, you know, feeling the extraordinary and then also struggling in the ordinary. Yeah. Well, my wrestling with this topic actually started in the early years of my marriage. I married a man who at the at the time was doing a lot of touring and traveling, a singer-songwriter, just got signed to a record label in Nashville, preaching the gospel from stage, and it was a really like he's doing really seemingly significant things and people are coming up to me uh, his wife, who's really just running the merch table, I have a finance degree. So I was doing all the behind the scenes of booking travel, you know, training people how to use our credit card machine, folding t-shirts. And they're telling me, you know, every night, your husband's music has changed my life. And, you know, it's like, that's awesome. What about me? <laughs> you know, is what I'm doing? Does it matter? 
And, you know, then I had a season of doing church ministry and, and felt like I finally got to use these gifts that I loved of teaching and writing. But then we had a second child and we moved. <laughs> and so all of that got stripped away. He went back on the road. So I've just had these ups and downs of kind of very visible ministry and then very hidden ministry. And I really wrestled through a lot of that and realized I only feel like my life feels full when I'm getting to do what I want to do, what I feel like I'm really good at in the seasons where I'm doing tasks I don't feel good at or I don't love. My life doesn't feel um, as full and that feels problematic. And so I really began to wrestle with God and with the word, God, what, how do I even make sense of all of this? And um, it was in those ups and downs and even being married to somebody going through, you know, massive seasons of public ministry as well, that uh, I began to find freedom as I saw in the scriptures. Well, I'm really not made to do specific things. I'm made to know someone. I'm made to unite myself to him. And that's actually what I'm made for, that even when my, my favorite tasks are stripped away, the person I'm made for is still there with me. And really then the question began to be, is it enough? Mm. Is he enough? Is Jesus enough or do I need to do things for Jesus to be okay? And I think what I was really realizing is I'm just using Jesus in some kind of self-actualization. He's my means to accomplish things because I like accomplishing things. And there was a kind of a stripping away that was happening in all of that and realizing, wow, I am made for you, um, but sometimes you don't feel like you're enough. <laughs> I'd rather do for you than just know you, you know? Yeah. And uh, he began to set me free through some of, of that and what was amazing is in the aftermath of finally loosing my grip on some of those things, uh, freedom and joy and purpose and a deep sense of uh, of meaning in my life began to bubble up everywhere. And as I began to just be content to be near Jesus, there was so much fruit coming from my life and people even interacting with me in everyday moments saying, wow, God's really meeting me even in that little comment you just shared. So there was so much fruit coming again, just from staying close to him. And so um, now, yeah, it's very, my life is a very mix of both right now, <laughs> doing interviews and releasing books. And we have five kids now. So it's like most of my life, 90% of it is very mundane. And in straddling both fences of doing both things, it's like neither one holds my truest sense of purpose. There's a person that holds my sense of purpose. And life is meaningful when I live each day with him and for him. And whether that's an interview or whether that's a flat tire that I have to figure out, you know, it's like in both those moments, when I do it with him and for him, my life really does get infused with meaning. And I find that now to be really liberating and freeing for me. That's so awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I love the analogy of when you just let your hands open, then you actually felt the freedom because a lot of times in our life, we're like, no, I don't want to let go. And so I'm just going to squeeze as yes. hard as I can. But he's like, girl, if you can just mm -hmm. let your hands open and you give it to me, if you can be faithful in the small things, I will bless you in the big things. But the big things that are big to him sometimes seem yep. small to us until we realize the heart posture that we need to have. So thank you so much for sharing that. When you know that truth, sometimes we can know what we're supposed to be doing. We know we've seen God set us free for things, but sometimes we still walk back. So have you experienced that? How you say you're, you know, you're having two sides of this, right? Mm -hmm. You have a 90% mundane, but then you're also doing all these amazing interviews um, and, and your book is amazing. So how do you kind of just settle yourself in that? Do you still struggle with that sometimes? I do still struggle with that. Um, I think 
having a struggle or wrestle with anything in your life, I'm learning now is not so much a sign of failure as I used to think it was. I, I think my thought as an early Christian was, oh, as I grow and mature in Christ, I will struggle with sin less. What I'm finding is I struggle with sin just as much, but my return to Christ is faster. Um, that as that sin shows up in my life, as the clinging shows up, I'm clinging to this certain set of tasks, which I've done it on both sides, by the way. I've done the like cling to the extraordinary things. And then I got fearful of that and the pride that I was seeing in my heart. And then I was like, I'm never going to do public ministry. There's a season where I was like, I'm done. Let me stay in the mundane. It's like, that's not the answer either. The answer is to to stay obedient to him wherever he leads. But in both seasons, when I've seen a temptation to cling to anything other than Jesus, to cling to a specific set of tasks that I prefer or that feel safe or that I enjoy, um, I'm learning that success is not that I don't struggle with that. It's just that when I see that clinging happen, I'm quicker to say, Jesus, <laughs> I'm clinging to this thing and not to you. Help me turn back around and get my heart in the right place. And so that kind of pattern of repentance, of turning back to him, is actually happening more frequently now than in my early years of walking with him. And I don't think that's a sign of more failure. It's just, no, that's that's how you stay close to him. We mm -hmm. always wander away. Our hearts are prone to wander. Um, so not being surprised by that temptation has helped, realizing that's probably never going to go away. It's just learning what to do with it learning not to be surprised, not to condemn myself for that, but to just go, oh, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm so forgetful. Help me again today to remember I'm made for you and I can hold everything else open-handed except you. You I cling to, everything else with open hands. Um, and when that feels scary, uh, I just remember the the years I've had of him being faithful in the big and small things because uh, it is scary to go to take a season you love, like even in my next season of life, I have some writing projects that I'm tabling because I feel a sense from the Lord of, no, it's time for some pulling back and, and rest and letting go of some of those tasks. And that can feel like, well, are those opportunities going to be there in a year or two? I don't know. That's not my job. My job is mm -hmm. obedience. And if he says, take a season to rest, to pull things back, to uh, have more input in your life and less output, then my job is to do that. And when that feels scary, it's like, well, he's for me and not against me. And it's staying close to him that makes my life fruitful, not that I keep writing. And that's what makes life fruitful. Fruitfulness comes from from him, not from my activity. And that's really good news. Hard news sometimes. <laughs> But Amen, really sister. Good news. Amen. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for your time and thank you so much for sharing. Guys, if I had to sum it up and you hear only this, purpose is not a verb, it is a noun. It is who you know. Mm -hmm. That is what Kelly has taught us today. So make sure that you go out wherever you get books and you go get Purposefooled by Kelly Needham. I promise you, it is going to bring you closer to Jesus and bring you a lot of joy in your life that is based on the firm foundation of Christ. So thank you guys so much for joining us today. Make sure that you check out Kelly's website. That is kellyneedham.com. You can see it with um, her and her husband, Jimmy, are on their podcast, The Clearly. And you have a blog, is that correct, Kelly? Yeah, it's on my website. All yeah. the good things are on her website. So make <laughs> sure you check it out. Make sure you get Purposeful, and we will see you tomorrow. Thanks so much. It's the only book he ever wrote. It's the only book he ever wrote. You need
You need to know the Word of God. You need to know what God. You need to know what God's book says. This is God's Word, brother. This is God's Word, brother. Boom, spirit, spirit.